From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 674, inspiring your team to learn with guest Don Jones. Recorded Thursday, January 23rd, 2020. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts, LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell. Thanks for listening to Run As Radio, bringing back one of my friends today, Don Jones. Oh, goodness. I mean, he's been in the IT industry since the 90s. He's written way too many tech books, so clearly he's not learning. Uh, lots of conferences, hundreds of thousands of students, maybe a million students. You ever thought about you, you possibly have taught a million people? Is that, yeah, is that feasible? Yeah, over the, all the years, it's, it's possible. Yeah. And, of course, PowerShell.org. And yeah. and plural site and be the master, which has been the past couple of shows you and I have done together. Been talking about be the master. How are you, friend? I'm doing well. Yeah, things are good. New year. Here we are in a new decade. Like new year, new activities, new projects. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you're and you're going to take on the history of PowerShell, are you? Yep, writing a book called Shell of an Idea. <laughs> I mean, how much of that's just going to be Jeff Snover? Um, you know, surprisingly. Obviously, a lot. Yeah, but but there is there's so much that went on, especially early on, and and so many people that really don't get a lot of credit um, for how much of a contribution they had. You know, sure. like um, Bruce Payette and and everything he contributed to the language design um, kind of goes unnoticed because Bruce isn't quite as big of a, a personality as as Jeffrey is. But I kind of want to get all that. I, I really do think that the story of PowerShell is the story of the people who made it and the people who use it more yeah. so than the tool itself. Yeah. The, in, the, the integrators, the exchange team, the, yeah. the active directory folks, like uh, yeah. when IIS was, when the whole shell was re-engineered to be PowerShell underneath, like those are important stories to that. Yeah. Yeah, they are. And well, you know, when that's done, of course we'll do a show about it, but later, I want to keep talking about this teaching and learning site because we've had a good time. And that last show we did back in September on uh, teaching and learning, uh, there was a comment from Nick and that, and he said, uh, thanks, Richard and Don, for a great show. Moving from individual contributor to people manager has been one of the biggest challenges of my career. And the Be the Master book has been helpful in that transition. As someone who's always used to getting things done myself, now not being able to, mostly from a time perspective, working as a master has helped me keep my skills current while scratching that itch to keep playing with new fun stuff. Not doing is still a challenge and something I will need to continue to work on, but being a mentor is enough to keep me excited, keep my skills current, and at the same time, helping the team to grow. That's awesome. Yeah. That's very much the journey I've I've been going through over the past couple of years, too. And I wonder if this the topic that we're digging into today is not something that Nick's going to care a whole lot about, because part of leading a team is also getting that team to learn, too. Yeah, and and learning, especially in a corporate environment, is one of the things that really highlights the difference between leadership and management. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, very good point. Nick, thank you so much for your comment. A Run As Radio mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a Run As Radio mug, write a comment on the website at runasradio.com or any of the social medias. I publish every show to LinkedIn and Facebook. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, I'll send you a mug. 
You've got a mug. Did I send you a mug yet? I must have sent oh, you yeah, a mug. Yeah, yeah. good. Absolutely. You should have a mug. Couldn't live without one. So there, I think, was it over the holidays that there was just a Twitter conversation going on about how do I get my team to learn? Yeah, I think so. I've, I've got, I pulled up the article that I wound up writing because you asked me a question and it has to be 2,000 words minimum. Uh, <laughs> and I'm, I'm just, I'm looking at the date on it and it was, it was right around the holidays. Yeah. It's, it's, int- uh, you know, I did a bunch of extra run ass stuff through the holidays. I did an advent calendar, published extra shows and so forth because I think a lot more people were listening. The numbers are really up. You get a little downtime around yeah. all this. And you get a little, a little more little contemplative. Reflect and think. Yeah. It, it makes me think about content planning, like during the holidays, the kinds of shows I want to do too. And, but this mechanism of how do I be a better team leader? And part of it is like helping that team to evolve and grow. I think it's really a, an interesting skill set. Something I, I mean, I've done for years leading different groups, but I have never thought about teaching a new leader how you're going to encourage your team to learn. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of companies, you know how we all, we all want to kind of use soft language for them. We don't have problems. We have issues. Right. And, and a lot of companies will use the word leader synonymously with manager, um, but they're not the same thing. They're very different skills. Totally sets. agree. And I, I think one of the things that that folks don't always realize, you know, I, I pointed this out in the article, you would never, no college would ever allow you to just drop off your 18 year old and say, go learn the things kiddo. Right. You have to, you have to pick a major. Right. And that, that major is your outcome and that's how they know what to teach you. And it's how you know what classes to take. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And corporations don't always do that. You know, it's, Hey, uh, what classes do you want to take? I don't know what, what outcomes do we need to achieve? Like, where are you leading me to? Right. If you're just going to drop me off on campus, I'm not going to get much. I mean, don't be surprised if I'm just in the cafeteria. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's where the girls are. Right. Uh, sure. <laughs> but it, it, I mean, I think the easiest learning is there's a new version of exchange coming. We consume exchange. I need to get up to speed on the new version of exchange. Yeah. That's got to be, that's just like low hanging fruit. It is. And I, I think too many people actually think of that as, as effective learning. It's, it's not, it's, mm-hmm. it's, that kind of just coming up to speed doesn't really exercise the muscle for learning new things. Right. And I mean, if companies like Stripe and Robinhood and, you know, all these other upstarts that are, are ruining hundred year old companies, um, <laughs> if they've shown us anything, it's that the ability to rapidly learn a new technology is a massive differentiator in any marketplace whatsoever. Right. And, and know enough about it to be able to press on it, to change the company in the process. Yeah. Yeah, and so the the ability to learn is is critical, and that means companies really have to do better about setting a vision. Right, this is leadership, right? Setting a vision, communicating that vision, helping everyone in the company understand how they personally are contributing to that vision, and then letting everyone say, you know what? There's a gap. Um, you're telling me how I can contribute, but there's things I don't know in order to get there. That's what I need to learn. Right. I need to learn these things to get there. You know, from a technologist, it might be, look, if, if the company says, hey, for, you know, competitive reasons, differentiating reasons, we are going to start moving into microservices. We're going to invest. We're going to re-architect all of this old ass VB.net code that we have. We're going to move over to, to microservices that are hosted in the cloud. And you guys as a team, you have to get us there. Right. Well, okay, great. I don't know anything about microservices. Well, that's the first thing you're going to have to learn. You're going to have to learn some executive briefing level type stuff. And then you're going to have to learn whatever languages you need. And you're just going to have to start chunking down through that whole stack because that's the outcome. But 
if you don't have an outcome, then you don't have a path. Now, I mean, this, but this is a pretty big leap here, Don, because you're you're presuming a group of senior folks have decided we, that rearchitecting an app makes sense. And, I mean, in my experience, an awful lot of companies aren't interested in rearchitecting software. It's like, why is this broken? Like, why would you want to change it? Yeah, and it's it, it, most of them really feel that way because change is hard and mm-hmm. it's fraught with risk. And in a lot of cases, I, I talk to a ton of business leaders as part of my job. And in a lot of cases, like it, it's never going to be your CIO or CTO who makes that call, right? They're going to make a business call. We need to be able to, to expand and evolve and change this product much faster. Okay? Right. Microservices is one way to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't run everything on the AS400 forever. Right. So you know, once you've decided that, that that's your, your business outcome and you start moving toward it, a lot of your, your junior executives, you know, your directors of engineering or, or vice presidents of IT or whatever else, they don't have the confidence in their ability to move their team's skill set. Interesting, yeah. And it's, it's a crucial differentiator. Most of them have plenty of confidence in their team and they have plenty of confidence that if they knew how to lead their team, that their team could learn. It's not, this isn't a ding on their team, that they don't know how to move skills. Wait, I think the skills one's really interesting because you hired this person based on a set of skills they currently had. Right. And now you're going to say, hey, I need you to change these skills now. Like, in theory, you're almost threatening that person's value. You hired me to be good at at, at, at ASP.web forms, yeah. and now I want you to write in Angular. Like, how is this person still valuable? Why do we pay them what we do? Yeah, I think there's a couple of facets of that. Um, one is that, you know, let's say you hired someone to be a, a C-sharp developer. I don't know. C-sharp is still pretty relevant. Maybe it's not a great example, but let's say that was it. They didn't drop out of the womb knowing that. No. They, they had to learn that at some point. And so what what you really valued there was, yes, the skill they brought in, but it was mainly their ability to have learned that skill in the first place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And where I think we fall down sometimes is we, we forget that the easiest thing, and, and companies are just now starting to struggle with this, the easiest thing in the world for the IT industry for a long time would be, I need a new set of skills, let's go hire it. And so we, you know, okay, all of a sudden we need a bunch of Angular programmers. Let's open some job recs and hire some people who know Angular. And that has been our method for so long that that we do think of people in terms of, I hired them for this, and so that is why they are valuable. It's really wrong, though, especially as we get into record low unemployment sure. um, across a lot of different, you know, major economies, not just in the U.S., you can't really just plan to go hire for people. There's hundreds of thousands of open job recs for IT positions just in the U.S. Yeah, You can't fill them that way. The, the job market is not going to get you your new skills. And so now you've got to fall back and think, hey, all of these people had to learn at some point. That means they can learn. Learning has to be how we bring new skills in. You really, I mean, a large company especially, you need the ability to go hire a kid out of high school and teach that kid whatever it is you need them to know to do your job. And there are companies who are doing that. Um, there's one large uh, financial firm that has gotten so underserved by the job market that they've almost stepped away from it now. And so what they do now when they start planning a new product launch, part of that product launch includes onboarding some senior members from other teams, onboarding new people, and they, they, they're confident enough in their ability to move skills that they bake that into the project plan. Wow. Like it's going to take eight months for us to skill these people up to the right point. And 
we're just going to run everything as an apprenticeship from now on because that's the we know we can get kids out of high school. That's that's our new you know lowest common denominator. Right, and we and if we got if we've matured the skill to grow them into productive members of our team, then yeah. we're fine. I wonder if we're struggling with the separation between being a software developer and a given programming language or pro, or, or stack skill set that because we we really still struggle with being a profession. You know, yeah, I, I think yeah. from the point of view of you don't you don't change your plumber because you're going from copper to plastic piping. The, right. the plumber is expected to you know be aware of both kinds of piping, and if they're not, get up to speed. The core rules of plumbing are still the core rules of plumbing. Yeah, we it, it's because we went through some phases. Like back back in the day, you knew COBOL, right? right. That was the only plumbing there was was COBOL. And then when we kind of started getting into microcomputer programming, it was really basically C and C++. Mm-hmm. You, you didn't need to know much more than that. Our next expansion was not much bigger, right? We picked up Visual Basic. Um, .NET came along, and so we had C Sharp and VB.NET. Those are the predominant languages. And we, we really still didn't have a lot of diversity. Okay, now you've got Java in the mix that kind of sat alongside .NET timeframe-wise very roughly. Then one day... All of a sudden, there were 600 programming languages, and half of them were JavaScript. <laughs> yeah, we, we definitely, and you, you can tell when we hit these periods, because you and I have done this long enough, where plus this diversity of language comes when there's a new problem not well solved. Exactly. Or, I think what's happening now is everybody has stepped back from the idea of we need one thing to rule them all, mm-hmm. and now it's everyone needs to be a polyglot because this particular framework solves for this problem better than anything, but this framework solves for this other problem. And so if you're writing microservices, as an example, you might have 10 different languages. You know, this microservice that's doing all this AI processing might be written in a completely different language from this microservice that's just reacting to customer password reset requests. Sure. And and polyglot is really like, that's the word. And this is the first time that I think the general tech industry has ever been confronted with polyglotism, right? Even on the operations side, you were a Windows person or a Linux person. Right. And, and there's a lot of people who know both, but a lot of people really just kind of commit to one as their religion. And we're seeing that not working anymore. No, it doesn't make any sense. But And I also think that the other side, the op, on the operations side here, it's can I measure it? Can I instrument it? Like when I see fierce defense of Linux, it's because you've got it well managed. Yeah. And yeah, fierce defense of Windows for the same reason. And so when you, now that the, the OS just seems to be less important, the same way programming languages seem to be less important. Those core ideas of can I manage it? Can I install it? Can I detect when I have a problem? Do I know how to recover? Like those seem to be the hard problems. Well, and, and here's the business outcomes that are driving this. Like I can't imagine going back to 1995 and finding any, any technology leader who was comfortable with 18 different languages floating around in this environment. No. What's changed, though, is is the need to move rapidly. You know, if, if you're American Express, uh, you're looking at Stripe, who has just come in and sucked down a measurable portion of your market share out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And they did it because they're using all these new frameworks and languages that make solving for those tasks very, very fast. And so that's what it's turned into, is companies need to move faster. And if, if C-sharp isn't cutting it. Like if, if, if I ask my team, okay, we need to program X, we need to create this service for customers. And they told me, oh, that's going to take six months. 
and I know it can be done in three months with a different language, I want the other language. Right. I, I just want whatever's going to get me there fast. Mm-hmm. That's, that speed of change has not been a thing until fairly recently, until the cloud really started happening and all these people could stand up enormous, highly scalable websites by pushing a button in a portal. Until that happened, everybody was moving slowly, and so moving slowly was okay. Right. But now, I mean, it's just not like that. Yeah, fair enough. And Don, I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. PowerShell is a great admin tool for automating recurring tasks. Wouldn't it be great if you could delegate PowerShell to others in a secure and easy way? ScriptRunner is the leading solution for PowerShell management. You can delegate PowerShell scripts to help desk and end users with the easy-to-use web application. On top of that, ScriptRunner offers you a central place for all your PowerShell scripts, credentials, and activities. Want to learn more about PowerShell scripting? Get your free PowerShell cheat sheet for your office. It shows all important commands and commandlets at a glance. Visit the website at scriptrunner.com slash runas and order your free poster today. ScriptRunner, making PowerShell a real solution. And we're back. It's Richard Campbell. This is Run As Radio. I'm talking to my friend Don Jones. And we've been talking about inspiring a team to learn, but I think we spent the first half really talking about what you need to learn and why you need to learn. Yeah. Which I think as a manager, I'm, I'm, a, we're equipping them now with here's how you make the argument both upstairs and amongst your team to we got to start learning. Yeah. And, and, and the next step of that is is the managing side of it. Sure. Right? So once you've decided that this is going to be a thing, and where I think a lot of companies fall down is even if they know what they need to learn, you know, we, we need people to come up to speed on this technology or this language or whatever else. Once they have that, we don't we don't treat learning like a production outcome. Mm-hmm. It's here's your plural site subscription. You know, go watch these videos. Like what at night on my spare time during lunch. When, when exactly is this supposed to, oh, you know, we've, we've got some, some cubes set up over there where it's a little quieter. Like, that's not how learning functions. Right. Learning requires your brain to be in a different context. You, you have to take time and set that aside. And that's what you get from most people. Um, you know, you, you talk to most technology professionals who are in an environment where they feel learning is not a priority. They'll, they'll tell you some kind of common attributes. And it's usually, I'm kind of expected to do this more or less on my own. Um, I, I can't step out of the day. You know, there's people tapping on my shoulder while I'm trying to, in the middle of watching a right. video or so whatever. You never, you're always getting interrupted. It's like learning is, is a different thing, but managers, you have to treat it like a production activity. Yeah. You know, if you're a, a, a software development manager, you have somehow figured out how to incorporate team meetings and huddles and mobs or whatever it is you're doing. Learning's just another one of those things. It, it isn't, a waste of time. It isn't overhead. It is part of the production outcome. And if you can't explain why it's part of the production outcome, then you shouldn't be doing it. Right. So there's got to be a deadline somewhere where your learning is now going to be implemented in in capabilities for the company. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's there's a reason the company is doing it. Know what that reason is and and create, you know, sustainable methods of doing it. One of the the features that, that Pluralsight does, for example, and, and people can do this on their own manually. It's just, it's a lot of paperwork is you can, you can create a role mm-hmm. and a role is just a collection of skills. So a front end web developer might have skills like CSS and HTML and JavaScript, whatever else. And your team can get in and it can assess where they're at. 
and you can determine, hey, for a level one front-end web dev, uh, we need these skill levels in each of these skills. Level two is a little higher. Level three is up here. They can assess themselves and see where they're at, and management can see where they're at, and you can see where the gaps are. And if you know that you really need more level twos and you've got a bunch of level ones, you can see the exact path necessary to move them from one to two. And as right. they engage with that, you can start to see the trend lines of how long it's taking to move a particular bit. And then you can start making predictions about, okay, we'll be where I need us to be in X number of days or weeks or months. And that's, that's management. Right. And, and I guess that therein lies the real thing when you start setting deadlines is that you now have to have a time, uh, a, a rate of learning. When is this going to be a serviceable skill? Yeah. And, and here's the downside of that. Um, there's the human downside and then there's just the, the, the blunt, I don't care business part of it. And mm -hmm. it's that it puts a lot of fear in people. Sure. Right. A, a deadline to learn something new because a lot of us don't have a lot of confidence in our ability to learn, even though we've, we've been doing it our whole lives and it got us to where we are now. We, we think that our brains have ossified. It's totally not true. Yeah. But from the business side, if my team's ability to learn is a core differentiator, like if that's part of what I'm, I'm betting the business on, then people who can't might not have a seat on the bus anymore. Right. Or, you know, they, and I'm, you know, I've been having this conversation more and more on the dev side where it's like, look, you can make a career out of one particular tool set for an app that isn't going to be evolved. Right. Like, but you're also that that's a risk to the company too. You're also taking a chance that the company's lunch gets eaten and yeah. then you're all out of work. Yeah. So, you know, you've, you've got to kind of pick what, what, what are you prepared to live with one way or the other? But I, I, I'm with you also. I did, you get this shrinking pool effect. Like there's, there's still COBOL software out there yeah. and there's still, yeah. and there's still demand for COBOL developers, but it is getting narrower. Yeah. And, and they get paid an awful, like a ridiculous amount right. because they're in, in, in such demand by certain companies that that's what those companies have to pay for it. But at the same time, those companies are now, aggressively trying to get off the mainframe. And when you, when you raise that budget like that, you suddenly look at how much of this money could we be spending on training up new people that are going to be with us for 30 years and building new technology that would actually give us a competitive advantage. And that's kind of where most, most of your larger companies are at. Mm -hmm. They've realized that it's unsustainable. Well, and the other side of this, and we haven't really talked in, in, in this term per se is that we're also getting new your use interfaces your customers want to communicate with you via mobile they want that sort of omnipresent experience where it doesn't matter where they go to your storefront you know send you an email use your app there it's they're the same person and, and everything is known right like those that's not easy software to write and operate no it's not and it requires a polyglot. Mm -hmm. You've, you've got to have teams that are capable of, of bringing in whatever technology is appropriate to make that happen quickly. Because as soon as you take care of those 10 demands, there's going to be 20 more right behind. Sure. It. So what I've, what I've kind of been coaching people to do is like the, the worst part of it is you are going to have to bring learning in. It is going to be a production outcome. There are going to be deadlines of some softness or hardness in there. And so how do you mitigate the human impact on that? And it's kind of the same. You know, if, if, you've, if you haven't been to the gym, you know, maybe you're 40. I was 40 years old before I really started going to the gym seriously. Um, and I, I hugely regret that I wasted my youth not going to the gym. It, <laughs> once I had been doing it for six years and I started to like it, uh, it, was, it was wonderful. But the first time I went in, 
my, my trainer didn't lay me down on a bench, load up a bunch of plates and say, okay, push, right? Because right. he knew I'd snap in half. Yeah. So we had to start out slow. We had to start building up some core muscles and learning is no different. So I'll say, um, you know what, get your team to write down on some slips of paper, some technology topics that you don't use in the company right now. And then everybody gets to pull one out of a hat and they have to go off and they get a week, they get one week and they have to come back and answer six questions. What is it? What does it do? Why does it matter in the world? How are other companies using it? How at a high level does it function and how might we use it if we chose to? It's, a, it's an executive briefing. It's a 20-minute presentation. It's not hard. You don't have to do a demo. You don't even have to do a slide deck. But it forces you to start getting your brain back into that learn mode. Where that I sounds can research like a little wonderful bit. lunch and learns too, like a yeah. 20-minute briefing like that. Yeah. And it, it might not create an outcome for the company. That's obvious. But the outcome you're creating is we're getting those core learning muscles limbered up and exercised so that that when and if we do need to learn a skill on a deadline, we've got the muscle for it now. Yeah. And, and that's very much that, that those six questions are kind of magic, right? That is very much an engineer's assessment of a technology. Yeah. And it's honestly, it's, it's an executive's too. I mean, mm -hmm. the, other, the other benefit of, of learning to do that little exercise is if you're asked to pitch to your CIO or CTO, he's like, you know, hey, um, we've heard about this, this service in Azure that does such and such. Can you tell me about it? Sure. Give me a couple of days. Those are the six questions. And that's about the time frame that they're going to want. Right. They want 20 minutes max. They want those six questions. Yeah. So if they found it in CIO magazine. Yeah. Cause they found it in CIO magazine. They want to know how it would impact a company. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they, yeah, that's, that's a, a good mechanism for everybody to do, especially the, the leader too, right? That each of us has to come up and just do one of those presentations on a routine basis. Yep. Um, another exercise. So uh, if you go to be the master.com, I've got a special edition of the book that's free and it's a, a, a more concise version for people who just don't have the time to dig into the full thing. Um, it's not that I hard a book to read, Don. I really, no, I've not. read it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my mortgage company certainly appreciates people who buy the full edition, but um, it's just in the interest of helping people, make your team download the special edition and read it and tell everyone you want them to come back and just state one thing that they learned. Right. Um, either that applies to themselves or that applies to the team. And it, it starts to, because so much of the book is, is like breaking down these toxic ideas we have about learning and education and everything else. And just putting those in front of people and, and saying, look, acknowledge this. This, this is a thing that you're thinking mm -hmm. is real. Now let's move past it. Um, that can be huge. It can be an enormous step forward in, in terms of changing attitudes. And, it, and I, again, I'm going to, I'm not going to give people excuses here per se, but again, it's a weakness in our industry. I mean, mo in virtually every other profession, if you're in medicine, if you're in law, if you're in architecture, part of your profession includes these learning mechanisms and a set of rules around them that are required for you to be able to maintain your status as a PNG or as a, a as an MD. A plumber. I mean, plumbers have to go to continuing education. Yes. They have to recertify. Carpenters, you know, if you're framing a house. Yeah. I know not a lot has changed, but it turns out things do change. Things do change, do absolutely. Yeah, it, it, absolutely true. And and at some point, I would hope our industry gets there, but it isn't there right now. And the more we do of this ourselves, the better prepared we will be should that hammer ever come down. Well, and that's so that's the the, the individual selfish reason to be better at learning is 
like right now with the, the unemployment low and the economy doing so well, it's really tough to look at a company and think, wow, they might be out of business soon. Mm-hmm. But I mean, look at the companies that are just on a razor's edge. You know, yeah. retailers are just are hovering. There's stores closing all the time. What if you worked in IT for Sears? Oh, <laughs> scary. Well, you know? and of course, you also get into this trap where because there's so much demand in our industry, you're sure to, your big gun types, they are already jumped. Yeah. And so, you know, you're looking around at the folks you're with and going, huh, you know, is, is this where I want to be? Well, and and take whatever it is you do for a living and look around at job postings in your region or your state or even the whole country. See how many people are really hiring for what you do right now. Right. Um, and if, if, if it's a lot, well, then you're great. You've probably learned the things that are relevant right now, but but keep an eye on it because that changes every single year. You know, you know, I mean, at some point, God help us, no one will care about Angular anymore. And, and it, <laughs> now you talk crazy talk, else. Mr. Jones. <laughs> something else that we all have to learn. You know, yeah. it might be 10, 20 years from now. I don't know. But eventually, we walk away from everything in this industry. And I think that's the key is forget about your job, right? Your job is just what your current employer pays you to do. Your career is the entity that you need to care and feed for. And that's the entity that will get you your next job. And, and learning, being able to learn is the most critical skill set that your career can have inside of it. So if you're not learning things just for the hell of it, um, then that muscle's getting weak. And when the time comes, you're going to wish it was stronger. Yeah. And the, um, you know, on the IT side of this, it is seems like a scary time. I, I get a lot of messages from folks that are talking about, hey, you know, I take good care of Active Directory and my Windows is all up to date. And I just don't know how important it is these days. Yeah. Uh, what's, I, don't, I don't either. What's your, cl- <laughs> yeah. What is your cloud strategy? How are you justifying buying new hardware right now? Yeah. You know, what, what does that even look like? And it's, it's great conversations. We do talk about spending money and cost of maintenance and life cycles of equipment to, to just be savvy of all of that and say, you know, in there is budget. It does make sense to spend money on getting educated. Yeah. And I, I don't like to, I don't like to take a, a fear approach to it, you know, but say, for example, 10 years from now, I truly am not sure why any company would be running Active Directory. We're, we're clearly on a march to move identity to providers that we don't run ourselves because those things, those directories don't provide any core business value to us. They're, they're a utility and we don't pay for, we rent utilities. We don't generate our own water or power either. So I don't like to like, don't like to do that. But at the same time, the fear wouldn't be there if you had confidence in your ability to learn whatever it was you needed. If you you were a confident learner, I don't care. I learned Active Directory. I'll learn this other thing too. I don't care. Right. And you've had years of experience in AD. So you care a lot about identity. You should be interested in the other identity tools that are out there. Yeah. I mean, we're always going to need that outcome. Yeah, we're that always identity. We need that thing. Mm-hmm. But we need, we need a, a global IT team that can get us that outcome through whatever means we, we choose at the time. Yeah. yeah. And that just means being a confident learner. And, and recognizing, I, I do like separating, you know, your skills in the profession from the skills of an individual technology, you know, and arguably your skills of profession only get stronger as you diversify, you polyglot those skills and technologies. I think another thing people, people miss about themselves and don't give themselves enough, enough credit for is we really legitimately are learning all the time. Mm-hmm. It's just, 
we tend to have this idea that unless I went to a class or watched a video or read a book, got a certificate, those are are learning. Yeah. So something you can do for yourself, keep a little journal next to your, your computer. And every time you, you solve something by Googling it, or you learn something from stack overflow, write it down, Mm -hmm. do it for a week. Because at the end of that week, you're going to prove to yourself, holy crap, I am learning all the time. I'm constantly learning. Yeah. I actually do have a really good ability to learn. It happens around me. We just we don't value those things, right? Because that fact you learned on Stack Overflow didn't wind up in the company learning management system. And so there's no credit for it. And right. I think that's something companies have to address is recognizing that learning is a an it's in the air around us. It's not just these set aside formal experiences. Um, and I think once people can at least recognize that about themselves, then they'll start creating room within the company for the company to recognize that learning as well. Yeah. That it's going on all the time. We did the, this is an old DevOps approach we did a few years ago where we were getting all of our IT folks to do post-it notes on the various things they did through the course of the day. And one particular color was the search for information on, right? Yeah. Tried to find an answer to, and it yeah. clobbered every other category. Yeah. It's yeah, like it's learning every one of us all day long yeah. searches for information to be able to solve a problem. There's a, uh, there's another type of exercise that more senior IT folks can do. So, you know, if you're a, a tier three engineer or maybe a team lead or something else, You've got some room in a position like that to be a little vulnerable, right? It's okay for you to show a little weakness because you're not going to get bounced out of the company for that. Not when you're at that higher level. Mm -hmm. So be visibly vulnerable, you know, admit to things that you don't know, Uh, describe things that you don't know and you wish you did. Show your team members, the, the people who are junior to you, show them that it's okay to visibly not know. It's okay to have to go learn and, and lead by example that way uh, and, and create that culture of it's okay to not know. None of us know. And I'm going to sit out here and admit it to you right now. Yeah, it's, you know, it's always been one of my best metrics for seniority in a room is the senior people don't know far more often than junior people. Yeah, they're, and they're just more honest about it. Well, it's because we always don't know. That's sort of normal, but it is that confidence. Is I'm pretty sure I could solve this. I don't know the answer right now, but let's go figure it out. Yeah, and and make sure you're creating some some safe spaces for people to learn in. You know, everybody fears failure. So you know, hey, junior person, come on over here. Um, we've got this big data migration I have to do, and uh, I just I want to walk through it. But I, you're going to sit in my seat. You're going to use my login. So it's my fault if anything goes wrong. Don't worry about it. You're safe here. Um, I want you to complete these last few steps. I'm just going to be sitting right here over your shoulder, but let's walk through this together. Right. That's learning. That's a really powerful type of learning that's worked for the human brain for thousands of years. Yeah. Yeah. Totally normal. Right. Well, Mr. Jones, that's a good story. And I appreciate your time on uh, just thinking through this. I hope folks that are trying to figure out how they're going to make their team stronger and uh, be prepared for the world we're currently living in. Uh, take some ideas from this. Yeah, awesome. And I've I've got a, a series of blog articles called Leading to Learn uh, on donjones.com mm-hmm. um, just to kind of, you know, provide some of these things and get people thinking about it a little differently. Awesome. I'll include it in the show notes. Cool. Don Jones, thanks for coming back on. Great talking to you, Richard. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio.